Are you ready? Today, by the way, is Friday, August 15th, and no matter what you're doing about school, be it sending the kids to school, doing distance learning, homeschooling, or some kind of hybrid, it is back to school season. I would send you a bouquet of freshly sharpened pencils if I could. Hi and hello! You found the podcast for moms who don't have time for podcasts. You can think of me as your internet bestie as we share recommendations, laugh about the ridiculous things we see online, and cheer each other on. I'm Indiana Adams, and today, by the way, is the short and sweet podcast that hopefully brightens your day. I am so glad you're here. Okay, so if you clicked on this podcast to listen after seeing the topic, I am so proud of you. I think a lot of us are wary of anything political these days, and so many of us have stopped going to Facebook because our feeds have become a charged atmosphere. I don't know about you, but I miss old Facebook. I just want to see photos of your kids and creep on my old crushes. (laughs) These days, it's all diatribes and people who mean well, but who totally miss the mark by reposting other people's not-quite-true content. The top of today's episode is about vice presidential trivia. I don't talk politics on today, by the way, and that's by design. It's that way because in my own close-knit circle of friends, some of my very best friends have voted for Trump, and some of my very best friends are never Trumpers. I will make the assumption that in a community of this size, we are among listeners who believe different things for different reasons, and hold those values with different grip strengths. I am really tired of this dividing line that politics has caused our society and this team sports aspect. It it honestly just leaves me utterly exhausted sometimes, and Chris and I have joked about packing up our family and living off the grid and being offline and unplugged until this election cycle is over. If you feel similar to that, I really recommend the book by the women who do the Pantsuit Politics podcast. It's called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations. It's written by Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart-Holland, friends who hold different political points of view but are still best friends and have conversations about politics weekly on their podcast. If you think that sounds like a book you need to give to someone, just know if you think that It's you who should read the book. The truth is, most of us have networks made up of dear friends and family who fall on different sides of the political spectrum. And if we can learn to navigate those conversations well and to be good listeners and to get at the heart of everyone, no matter who they pull the lever for, I think it could do us all some good. The big news this week is that presumed Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden selected his running mate. He chose Kamala Harris, a Democratic senator from California who is Black and Indian. She's the first woman of color to be nominated for the office of vice president by one of the two major political parties. However, decades before Kamala Harris became the first Indian American and first Black woman to run for vice president on a major party ticket, Carlotta Bass made history. Bass, an activist and journalist, became the first black woman to run for vice president in the United States in the 1952 election, running on the Progressive Party ticket. 
In her acceptance speech in Chicago, she said, This is a historic moment in American political life. Historic for myself, for my people, for all women. For the first time in the history of this nation, a political party has chosen a Negro woman for the second highest office in the land. Bass was originally a Republican, but turned to the Progressive Party, which had an explicitly anti-racist platform that called for the end of lynching, called for fair housing, and access to medical care. Bass and presidential hopeful Vincent Hallinan earned 140,000 votes in the 1952 presidential election, which was won by Dwight D. Eisenhower. This month, when rumors of who Biden was going to choose as his running mate started to crescendo, I remembered that the office of the vice president wasn't originally chosen by a presidential nominee. In fact, the original system for electing presidents mandated that the candidate receiving a majority of the electoral college votes would become the president, while the runner-up would become vice president. So from 1778 until 1800, that's how it was done. The 1800 election resulted in a tie between Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr, two men from different political parties. Under the Constitution, this stalemate sent the election to the House of Representatives, which chose Jefferson, and people realized that the president and vice president should probably be aligned, so they had to amend the U.S. Constitution. That was the first of many evolutions of the vice presidency. Throughout the 19th century, the vice president had no real role in government outside of his duty as Senate president. This changed with FDR. Roosevelt kept his last vice president, Harry S. Truman, out of the loop on secret projects such as the Manhattan Project to create a nuclear bomb. When Roosevelt died in office, Truman took over in 1945 as a wartime president without any sure knowledge of the bomb. He literally wasn't sure if a nuclear bomb existed or not because FDR failed to keep him informed. Four years later, Congress passed a law that requires the vice president to have a permanent seat on the National Security Council, which briefs and advises the executive branch on military intelligence. In 1961 is when the vice president was offered Secret Service protection. And it's hard to believe, but there was no official line of succession to the presidency until the 25th Amendment was passed in 1967. Prior to the amendment's ratification, it was merely assumed that the vice president would assume the presidency if the president died or was removed from office. This amendment that didn't happen until 1967 is what made it official. And it wasn't until 1977, so not that long ago, that the vice president and his family were allowed to live in a government-supplied home. Before that, the vice president had to find a home for his family and pay for it on his own. And usually the vice president was not from Washington, D.C. or anywhere near, so that all just came out of their family's pocket. The vice president now lives on the Naval Observatory, and that house is called Number One Observatory Circle. Vice President Walter Mondale, who was the VP to Jimmy Carter, was the very first VEEP to live in that house. The vice president has a house now, and around then is when the VEEP also got a government jet at his disposal. But it is shared with the first lady and cabinet members. And just like Air Force One, the plane isn't a plane in so much as that it's a call sign for the plane. Officially, there are at least two planes that serve as Air Force One, but no matter what plane the president is on, that plane is called Air Force One. And the same goes for the vice president. 
There are a couple of planes the Veep can use for official events, but whatever plane he's on, even if he's on a little Cessna, that plane is called Air Force Two. And now, now I think that you are set if you enjoy bar trivia and then there's a category for <laughs> vice president trivia. I hope that in this election season, you can live in peace with others, no matter their crazy Facebook post or their political affiliations. I have to take a quick break right here for today's Sponsor Spotlight. One thing that I'm thankful for is the fact that BetterHelp was set up for online counseling before the whole world had to pivot to try to figure out how to do everything online. BetterHelp is the largest online counseling platform worldwide. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I started counseling to help me learn how to process some of my health concerns, and my counselor is also helping me work through my issues with sleeplessness. BetterHelp has made it possible for anyone to get help on their own time and at their own pace and on the platform that works best for them. If you live in an area where it may be difficult to get access to counselors with the expertise you need, BetterHelp is there for you. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist, and it's completely confidential. No awkward waiting rooms. It was easy to start. After filling out a questionnaire to help match you with the kind of counselor you want, communication starts within 24 hours. And if you aren't happy with your counselor, know that BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free for you to change counselors if needed. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a Today By The Way friend, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com indiana and financial aid may be available to those who qualify. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Indiana. And now, back to the show. My favorite fictional vice president is, of course, Claudia Kishi, vice president of the Babysitter's Club. Growing up, she was the only Asian American I can recall in children's literature. She had a close relationship with her grandmother who lived with her. She had an insatiable sweet tooth. She was a funky dresser, and she was an integral part of a successful business run alongside other females, and she struggled with academics. Whenever I would read Anne M. Martin's descriptions of Claudia, I felt like she was describing me. It turns out that a lot of Asian American girls in the 80s and 90s feel similar. My friend Linda, who blogs at lindadeary.com, she and I have waxed poetic about this together for the greater part of the last decade. Claudia's impact has been the subject of numerous essays by women who count Claudia Kishi as a transformative figure in their childhoods. Linda writes, In Claudia, I found bits of myself a girl who liked art and fashion, a girl who looked different from the other kids at school, a girl with a cool exterior and mixed butterflies in her stomach. If you have 17 minutes and Netflix, I urge you to watch the short documentary called The Claudia Kishi Club. Let me read you its premise. For many Asian American women and other women of color, Claudia Kishi was the first time they saw themselves in popular media. A main character in the best-selling Babysitter Club books, Claudia defied stereotypical portrayals of Asian characters. She was creative, popular, and bad at school. As a blossoming artist, she was a role model for aspiring young creators, many of whom are now making groundbreaking work of their own. 
Asian American artists and writers share their memories of Claudia and read from their favorite books alongside stop motion collages that bring the character to life. Nostalgic yet timely, this film highlights the personal and universal importance of representation. I love that. When I think about my childhood, I don't know where Claudia ends and I begin. Did I identify with Claudia because I had a sweet tooth and dressed loud and was a bad student? Or did I model those things after Claudia? It's hard to say. If you're listening to this, according to my listener survey, you're probably slightly younger than me and a lot of my 80s and 90s romanticisms may be lost on you. So you may be wondering if the Babysitter's Club TV series on Netflix is faithful to these books that I keep referring to. While it's set in the now, with modern issues not discussed in the books, and it's full of kids with cell phones who are texting instead of being set in the era of landlines and notes passed in class, I would say that the characters are pretty faithful. But Claudia? She is spot on. I screamed with delight when she showed up on screen in a Halloween costume dressed as Tippi Hendren, the protagonist from the Alfred Hitchcock movie The Birds, because I once dressed as Tippi Hedren for Halloween. If you were a fan of the books as a child, this series will make you really happy, especially because our queen of the late 90s, Alicia Silverstone, plays Christie's mom. Lest you think that I'm alone in my ardent love for the Babysitter's Club books, a lot of my peers report that the members of the Babysitter's Club were important to them too. My friend Kayla, who's a very successful author, says that she identified with Mallory. My friend Melissa, who is a diabetic, said that having Stacy, the cool girl, have diabetes was extremely inspiring to her as a kid. And loads of my friends really loved that the quiet girl Marianne was the one with a boyfriend, and that Christy, the loud bossy one, was shown that her bossiness was an asset, that it was a good thing for a leader and a visionary. I've joked time and time again that I believe that your favorite Babysitter's Club member reveals more about you than your Enneagram number, and I stand by that. I'm in a season after a really long, dry season where friendship with other women seemed really hard to come by and even harder to maintain. But I'm in a season now where I have a good group of female friends. The Babysitter's Club taught me that a Claudia can be close friends with a Christy and a Stacy and a Mary and, and even a Mallory. <laughs> so this week's community discussion questions are these. Which Babysitter's Club member are you? And if by chance you skipped this iconic series, which book characters had the most impact on you growing up? Share your answer on Instagram at Today By The Way or on Facebook at My Internet Besties. Today's Good Time Good Deal is for our educators. Let's give it up for our educators. If you can verify your employment, Target will do 15% off select school supplies through August 29th. Also, don't wait until Christmas or the designated teacher appreciation week to ask your teacher friends or your children's teachers what they need. That's our community challenge this week. It's to show a teacher some love. My suggestion? Don't be coy about it. You can slip them a Target gift card or straight up email them and say, hey, I'm heading to Target tomorrow. I have an extra 20 bucks. What can I grab for you? Even teachers that are figuring out remote learning need things. They need visual aids, planners, stuff like that. And according to a survey by the National Center for Education Statistics, 94% of teachers spend their own money to stock their classrooms with necessary supplies and resources. 
And this year, especially if they're meeting in person, they're going to need a lot of extra things that they didn't have to use in years past. Things like disposable face masks and hand sanitizer and extra school supplies to share with their students since communal supplies and shared supplies are a big no-no. And if you know a new teacher, the book Magic Shine On, A Guide for New Teachers, would make an excellent gift. Written in part by our very own Hannah Turk, Magic Shine On is designed to help the beginning teacher thrive during their first year of teaching by asking them to reflect, challenge themselves, and celebrate wins in and out of the classroom. I've linked it and the Target verification page in the show notes. Okay, friend, that is it for today. My kids returned to school because we are feeling better and our COVID test came back negative. We are so thankful for your messages and prayers, and we feel really loved by the Today By The Way community. Show notes are at todaybytheway.com slash episodes. And if you have time, I'd love it if you could write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We're at this really cool point where the show and the community is growing beyond who just found today, by the way, through the other podcasts or blogs that I had. Your five-star reviews play a vital role in the growth of our show. Recently, Laura wrote, I love Today By The Way's format. You feel like you're talking to your best friend even though she's doing all the talking. (laughs) I'm laughing. I have this vision of you guys all talking back to me. And when I record, sometimes I have to take out long pauses where I'm imagining your part of the conversation. (laughs) And then Scarcuff wrote, this is the start and end to each week. This podcast makes me feel heard without saying a word. Indiana gets it and she talks about it. This also is not just a podcast. This is a community. Scarcoff gets it. Yes, this is not just a podcast. This is a collective of women who are for each other. Then Mindy Kayer, who just had a baby two months ago, left this review recently. She wrote, I look forward to Mondays and Fridays so much, and because of her, I sometimes keep driving after my school drop-off trip that only lasts maybe seven minutes. I must finish the episode. Thank you for that, Indiana. It's so worth the extra gas money. Girl, Mindy, what is your Venmo? I feel like I should top off your tank for you. When you guys take the time to listen or to write a review or to chime in on Instagram or Facebook, you put wind behind my creative sales. That's when I feel like you're cheering me on. I especially felt that this week with our illnesses and my technology issues. But I'm rested, my computer is working, and I am thankful for your friendship. And you know what? Today is a new day, and friend, I am cheering you on. 